Remember we said that, that Matthew was he's one of the four Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, and it's written specifically to a Jewish crowd. So if we can better understand first century Jews, we will better understand some of the nuances and the language. And that's going to be a really important deal when we walk through these three stories in Matthew chapter 9 and learn about the scandalous love of Jesus. And what I want to challenge you to do today uh, before we get started is to just kind of think through your view of Jesus and your view of following Jesus and especially if, if maybe you tend to see it as something stuffy, like a lot of people see followers of Jesus as stuffy people, and some certainly are. A lot of people see Jesus as unapproachable, as stuffy. Uh, we ha- tend to have this like pious, holier than now, and some of that can be good. I, I, I remember uh, last year in, in Israel, Anything that happened anywhere that they think happened, there's a church built. And I was in Bethlehem at the traditional site of the birth of Jesus, the Church of the Nativity. And I was there with with a friend named Jason Lance, who, by the way, is going to be here next week to speak. And he is probably the best speaker that we have ever had here at Polaris in our history. Just a phenomenal, uh, gifted communicator from a church down in Canton. Um, going to be talking with us about Matthew chapter 10. But anyway, he was sitting there with me, and um, he actually was sitting with like his, you know, the way you kind of cross your legs when you're sitting and you have your foot sitting on your knee. And there was this priest that was all decked out in, you know, ornate priestly stuff. And he was pointing his finger at Jason. And, and Jason's sitting there, and I'm sitting there, and, and, and Jason doesn't know what he's doing wrong because literally we're just sitting there. And so he's like shifting his arms and, you know, trying to figure out what it, because you're not allowed to smile and you're not allowed to, well, here what he was doing, he figured out was you're not allowed to show the bottom of your foot in one of those churches because it's, but there there are just a million rules and it's really, really stuffy. And, and sometimes when we think about following Jesus, we think we're committing to that kind of a lifestyle, but that doesn't always fit with the Jesus that we see in scripture. So I want to read to you real quick from 1 Corinthians one twenty two before we get into Matthew. This is the Apostle Paul, and he had all this tension between Jews and non-Jews in their view of Jesus. And he says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. Now, what Paul is basically saying is that Jesus, the life he lived, even the death he died is a stumbling block. But what's interesting is if you look at that Greek word there, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word there that we translate stumbling block is the same word that we get, it's the same Greek word that we get our English word scandal from. So what Paul is essentially saying is we teach about Jesus and he's scandalous to the Jews. Now what's a scandal? A scandal is when somebody does something that threatens or risks or compromises uh, their reputation or maybe the reputation of an organization they're with. That's a scandal, and there are scandals all around. No need to go into detail. We all know what a scandal is, and we can think of people who are scandalous. And what Paul is saying is that what we can expect when we learn about Jesus is that we're going to find scandal. 
He was a scandal to the Jews because they had certain expectations of what it would be like when God became flesh. And the things Jesus did did not line up with the expectations of the Jews. And Jesus seems to be fine risking his reputation. So let's go back to talk through what we we started on this last week. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 9. I want to invite you to follow along with me if you have your Bibles with you. Um, And I know some of you do, so if you could maybe turn the house lights up a, a little bit so that... As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's talk about this a little bit because it's a scandalous story. So we need to go back to first century, uh, to a first century Jewish kind of thinking to really appreciate this story. The first thing we know about Matthew, same Matthew that wrote this gospel, this is his story, is that he was a tax collector. So let's talk about what that would have meant. Now, in Israel, there is great fascination with the land, the promised land, you know, south to um, the, the Dead Sea, north to Mount Hermon, the promised land. And they obsess over the land. The Jews obsess over that land. Kind of like, I went to college in Kentucky, and um, now I was born and raised in northeastern Ohio. went to college in Kentucky, and here, when the Civil War, you know, I mean, we we maybe spent a couple classes talking about the Civil War, but being a Yankee, it was kind of like, yeah, we kicked our butts, and it was quick, and, and, um, you know, better army, bigger army. They had better generals, but we had everything else, and so we mowed them down, done. God wins. You know, I mean, that's how that's how we talk about the Civil War, at least. But then I go to Kentucky and there were pockets of people. You would have thought that this war just ended a week ago and that they just, man, we almost had them. I mean, yeah, I like that they're still frustrated. And, and some of you may cause so I'm not like, you know, slamming the people group or anything like that. It was just not my experience. I didn't relate with still obsessing over the Civil War. Long ago, done, over, moved on to the next war, whatever. But it's like there was this obsession over the Civil War that was foreign to me. And the same is true with the land in Israel. And still today, there is tremendous obsession over this land. It's a part of that people group's identity. Now, in Jesus' day and time, there was still this heartfelt connection with the land, but there was a problem in that the the Romans occupied it. The superpower of the world occupied that land. And they told the Jews, yeah, you can do your cute little Jewish thing as long as you pay your taxes and abide by our rules and don't cause any trouble. You can do that. And this was humiliating to the Jews. And they hated the Romans, absolutely hated the Romans, and really wanted the Messiah to come and rescue them 
from Roman oppression. But there was a group of Jews who decided to set their heritage aside, set their faith aside, and work for the Romans by collecting taxes from the Jews. So this group of people would take money from their own people group and give it to the Roman government. And now, now you're familiar with the debates and the controversy in the Christian world and just an ethics thing of tax money going to fund abortions and how there are many, many people who are irate that their tax money is going to go to fund something that they disagree with. Well, this was the situation here. You know, the Romans were taking money from the Jews to do things for other gods and build other temples and things like that. They hated it. So where do you think Matthew, the tax collector, fared? They hated tax collectors. Now, recent example, I'm going to talk about LeBron again. Take a look at this picture. I know I did Christmas Eve, and I'm not over it yet, but I'm trying Okay, now you remember that, that those images there of the decision, and then the next day when LeBron appears in the arena with the other team's jersey and they're burning his jersey in Cleveland and stuff. Here's my point. That's just basketball. And we're still not over it. I'm still not over it. That's just basketball and people are burning his jersey. How much more when you turn your back on your race, on your nationality on your faith, and work for the other guys. They hated tax collectors. And now they're reading in the book of Matthew that Jesus goes to a tax collector and invites him along. But that's the thing with those words there. Jesus says, follow me. And it's not just like he's saying, hey, be in my entourage. Follow me was a very specific phrase that a rabbi would extend toward a student when he thought that that student could be really good at God. Like really good spiritually. The best of the best. Then the rabbi would go and say, follow me, and the person would become one of their close, resourced students. So this was a very specific and important invitation. So you think about that early Jewish reader who saw the Messiah... Mixing and mingling and inviting a tax collector saying, you know what, I think you have what it takes. That was scandalous. And that was a scandal. Jesus was fine with it, and it it says that he throws this party. And actually, Gene and April Smith last week said to me, you know, I bet that all the religious leaders of the day probably expected, you know, maybe Jesus would take this tax collector and whisk him away. But instead, Jesus takes his other disciples and whisks them in to the mess. Because the reason that Matthew had a party with other tax collectors and notorious sinners is because that's all he could hang around with. Tax collectors were written off by everybody else. And Jesus goes to the party and seems to be engaging in this party. (coughs) And that was scandalous. And Jesus seems to be fine with risking his reputation by hanging out with people that nobody else can stand. So, we say at Polaris that we want to be followers of Jesus, not just believers in Jesus. We don't want to just believe the right things about Jesus. We want to follow his teachings. So if we follow the example of Jesus, that means that we are doing things 
to love people who nobody else wants to love to the extent that our character or our way of life could come into question. So are you following Jesus like that? And we all know that guy, right? We all have that guy or that girl that nobody else can stand. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a neighbor. And my challenge is, if we're following the example of Jesus, that we're taking some time this week to think about that guy or that girl. And we're thinking about how can I really invest? Not just I need to start saying hi as I pass by him in the hallway. Talking, how can we really show the kind of acceptance that Jesus showed to this tax collector with our that guy? Means I'm going to have to go to lunch with Marcus some. (laughs) Who's your that guy? Who's your that girl? And how are you going to invest and show love in a way that might be scandalous? Because that's the kind of thing that gets other people talking. I can't believe that she just asked her to lunch. Oh, man, you invited her to the party? I mean, that's the kind of thing that gets other people frustrated, but that's what Jesus did. All right, next story. This is all in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew lumps them together. A synagogue leader, we learn in another gospel that his name is Jairus. He came and knelt before Jesus and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Now, you, 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 get, this, you get this picture. I mean, how horrible is this? Because it's real. I mean, there really was a synagogue leader named Jairus, and his daughter really did die, and he really did run to Jesus, throw himself at Jesus' feet. His daughter has just died. Horrific grief, desperation, horrible, horrible moment. And he throws himself to Jesus, and he says what? Go and put your hand on her. Now, 2012 America, that sounds like a reasonable thing, right? But this was written to a Jewish crowd. I'm going to read you from Numbers chapter 19. This was the Old Testament. This was the law that the Israelites lived by. (coughs) Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then they will be clean. But if they do not purify themselves on the third and the seventh day, they will not be clean. If they fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's tabernacle. They must be cut off from Israel. Now, this is a synagogue leader, an expert. Do you think he knew about that law in Numbers? Absolutely. So he goes to the Messiah, who he believes has the power to raise his daughter from the dead, and he suggests, he has the audacity to suggest that the Messiah defile himself, become unclean by touching a corpse. Isn't that scandalous? A guy who knows better goes to this 
Messiah, who's also the God of all creation, the holiest of the holy, and he says, if you could just become unclean by touching her corpse, she will live again. And touching a dead body is a big deal. You know, you got to get the ritual right. You got to get the washing right or you're cut off. I mean, it's a big deal. And it's inconvenient. And Jesus could have said, you know what? I healed her right now. She's good. Go back. You'll find her. Find her in good shape. But it doesn't. It says he and his disciples got up and went. Knowing full well that this would make him ritualistically unclean, that this would risk his reputation as one committed to following the law, Jesus willingly enters into scandal to show love to this man and his daughter. It gets better. (coughs) Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Now, we learn more about this in the Gospel of Luke. So she's poor. She spent all of her money trying to get doctors to heal her bleeding. Can't happen. They can't fix it. Now, because she's... I'm going to read this to you, Luke 15, and we'll go. We'll, we'll further the story. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at, at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will become unclean as long as she has the discharge just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean as is her bed during her monthly period. Anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water and they will be unclean until evening so coming into contact with a woman in this condition big deal little deal it's a big deal makes you unclean ritualistically unclean unclean before god that kind of a thing is the 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 flavor of the old testament so First of all, think about the plight of this poor woman. She's been bleeding for 12 years. For 12 years, she is not allowed to touch anyone. And they take this very seriously. It's, it's documented. In the Hasidic Jew community, um, which is like the, the Jews who follow the letter of the law in the Old Testament, if a wife um, gets mad at her husband uh, during her time of the month, she will just go and sit on every piece of furniture in the house. And then the husband comes home and has no place to sit in his own house because, um, but this is a big deal. And this woman creeps through the crowd believing that Jesus is a powerful man of God. And she does the unthinkable. She touches his clothing, thereby making him unclean. But what's interesting is this. Jesus turns to her and he says, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at this moment. But the story's even a little better in Luke. Because what Luke said is, here's the scene, okay? Jesus is walking to heal Jairus' daughter. And he's being pressed upon and there's people all over the place. And Jesus feels power. 
leave his body when this woman touches the tassel on the corner of his robe. And he stops. And you picture the mob, the people, you know, crowding around. She says, who's touched me? And Peter says, what are you talking about? Who touched you? You're getting bumped from all over the place. No, I felt somebody touch me with faith, and I felt power flow through me. Then this woman goes and she explains her situation. Now, I love this. Because Jesus knew the situation. And in a large crowd of people, he could have ignored it. I mean, she's still got her healing. She doesn't want to make a scene. She just wants healed. She gets her healing. Jesus knew that now he's ritualistically unclean. That's a scandal. I mean, who wants a Messiah that's unclean in a Jewish context? Who wants the hero of their faith to be unclean? But he draws attention to the fact that a woman who would make him unclean has touched him. And instead of rebuking or chastising her, because I guarantee that no other religious leader in all of Israel would go near this woman. But Jesus is different. He draws attention to the fact that a woman who is bleeding has touched him and he knows it and he blesses her. So as a follower of Jesus, what does that mean for us? We follow a leader who willingly and intentionally engaged in scandalous situations to show love to people that everybody else kept their distance from. So if we're not just believers in Jesus and we follow him, what does that mean for you? Okay. (coughs) Jesus moves on. When he entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. This girl is not dead but asleep. Well, they laughed at him. So Jesus was willing to be laughed at. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through the whole region. Now, Matthew is careful to note Jesus touched the corpse. In fact, Luke is even more careful to say, first he touches the corpse, then the spirit of life enters her. It's like Scripture, which I believe is inspired by the Holy Spirit, wants us to know, wanted early Jews to know that Jesus was willing to become unclean to show love to people. He could have spoke the word when he entered the room. Clapped his hands or something. He raised Lazarus with just his voice. But instead he chooses to go and do what is against the Old Testament law in order to show love, and I think in order to prove a point for his future followers. If we're really going to love the way Jesus loved, there's going to be some scandal involved. Because it's going to take us places that nobody else wants to go. It's going to take us to places that thousands of churched people will not go. But when we go there, 
there's fulfillment like none other. I was at a conference this past week and um, listened to a, a, a woman talk about how she began <clears throat> a ministry at their local strip club. And this was a woman, so guys don't get any ideas. Um, she would go and take school supplies and tell the DJ, you know what, I, I have some school supplies here. I'm from such and such church, and we just are trying to uh, give these school supplies to single moms and thought maybe some of your employees, some of the dancers would, would need these school supplies. And they let them right in. She goes back to the dressing room and takes them school supplies. They're thankful for it. Uh, she gets to know them, know them by name, know their stories, starts to take them lunch. Then pretty soon it's a group of ladies from the church that go there regularly to take lunch and then moves on to friendships and play dates in the park and visits to church and Bible studies. That's scandalous, isn't it? But you know what? I'm sitting there thinking, we could do that. <coughs> I mean, we could drive a golf ball to a strip club from here. It's that close. And we could do that. If we could deal with the scandal, we could do that. Um, another guy at the same conference was talking about how he took on a special friendship with an abortion doctor. Rather than hold the sign and throw the rocks, he invested in this man's life. We could do that. It's a matter of seeing that our leader, the one that we follow, really follow, not just believe the right things about, but follow, that he was willing to look at the situations around him and engage in scandal if that's what it took to show the love of, of, of God. Now, always above sin. Didn't cross that line. And I think that we have to be careful. Like, for instance, if you're a recovering alcoholic, I doubt that God is going to call you to a bar ministry just because it's scandalous. So, I, I, you know, I mean, you've got to use good sense about this. But it seems to me that if we say we follow Jesus, especially if we're down the maturity road a bit, if you know, if we say we follow Jesus, but are never in potentially scandalous situations by the kinds of people we really invest in, maybe we're not really following his example all that much. So I hope that you leave here today with two, with, with, with two clear thoughts. One is that um, if you've been wounded in the past by the way somebody represented Jesus, stuffy, rigid, rule-following, um, maybe you've never really felt the grace of Jesus, maybe you hold on to that feeling of, of, of uncleanliness before God, and we all should kind of have that because we really are all unclean, before God, comparatively, except that through Jesus he makes us clean. But if you are outside of a relationship with Jesus today and feel like you just, you know, too much junk in your life for Jesus to come into close proximity with your soul, I hope that you'll read Matthew chapter 9 and see that Jesus never had a problem with engaging in real 
intimate levels with human beings that the rest of the religious world wrote off. I hope that you leave there confronted with that teaching in Scripture. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you'll take some time this week to decide who's that guy, who's that girl that the rest of the world has written off but that needs the love of Jesus and begin to think about ways that you can really extend that kind of scandalous love.